0: standard rugby podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast where we have all the news and views from round two of the six nations. Now Steve Cording is off on his holidays sunny Devon I believe so with me in the studio is the evening standard rugby correspondent Nick Puruwell. Nick great to have you finally in the studio. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me, Lawrence. Yeah, very well. Thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Long journey, I take it? Yeah, not too bad. Just in from uh, Suffolk. So, you know, sleepy Suffolk first thing this morning, but nice to see the sunrise on the train. So very good.
0: Look at that. We moaned in London <laughs> about getting around and you're in from Suffolk. Well, listen, it's, uh, it's good to have you here. I know you want to talk to us about that game at Twickenham that you're at the weekend. But before we get stuck into that, let's welcome our special guest, I think I must have been missing Sarah's Welsh tones on this podcast as uh, following on from uh, Jiffy's appearance last week we've got another rugby legend joining us from Wales with 87 caps to his name and a staggering 58 tries an incredible player he holds the record as the top try scorer for his country it's my good mate Shane Williams Shane how are you
2: Morning I'm very good I didn't realize I was going after Jiffy so I have got a lot to live up to <laughs>
0: Yeah absolutely Shane just before we get stuck into the weekend's games, just give our listeners a, uh, an early memory for you of your first ever sort of Five Nations, Six Nations memories and 58 tries. That is an extraordinary record. You, you can't remember every single one of them, but you must remember one or two that were pretty special to this tournament.
2: Yeah, rightly so. My first cap was in the first Six Nations when Italy got introduced. Uh, my first game was actually I came off the bench, played against France. And unfortunately, my first touch of the ball was an interception pass to Emile Intermac. So, um, <laughs> oh, no. I remember that vividly, yes. <laughs> Graeme Henry was coach at the time and uh, he put a lot of faith in me. I was very green, very raw and very new to the game, to be honest with at, at a senior level. And he gave me the opportunity to start my first game the following week against Italy and... I scored my first of those tries and we won the game. And, you know, that experience kind of made up for the week before. But I've had my ups and downs, as has Welsh rugby. But um, that's what the Six Nations is all about, really. Yeah, incredible. And
0: uh, I guess, you know, playing for so long across so many different teams, but obviously the, I guess the purple patch would have been, you know, that Warren Gatland, Sean Edwards' combination and, and so many great Welsh players. Was it three, four Grand Slams that, that you guys won? Me
2: personally, was two, but they went on and, and won more championships and Grand Slams. Um, yeah, you know, they, they came as a package. And what a package that was, really. Uh, they took over in 2008 after an awful World Cup for us where we got knocked out of the group stage by Fiji. But what Warren came with was, was confidence. You know, he would speak to the lads individually, make them feel, you know, that they were world-class players. And he would do it collectively. And by the time the Six Nations started, he made us believe in ourselves again. And sometimes that's just the difference, you know. That Laura's just, you know, that how your man managed and how you looked after sometimes is a difference because the level between a brilliant Six Nations player and a good Six Nations is an inch. It's not much at all. So it's just how you manage that. And um, he told us we go to Twickenham, beat England, who were probably the favourites to win the championship. That we would go on to win the Grand Slam. We all thought he was bonkers. Um, <laughs> But, you know, uh, but we went on and done that, you know. So we were scratching our heads at the start, but it just gave us huge confidence. And then when he comes with the likes of Howley, who he'd worked with before at Wasps, and, and of course, Sean Edwards, who brought in this brand new defensive set where it was blitz defence, pretty much like in England's defence on, on Saturday, where you just rushed the, the attack inside. You know, it, it was high risk, high reward. And I remember Sean Edwards telling me, Shane, you're going to lead this. Defence from the outside And I was like Hold on Sean I'm 70 kilos Soaking wet You know if, if I'm leading This defensive set It's not going to be Very scary But it worked You know We only conceded A, a couple of tries In that Six Nations and, uh, and that's really What won us The Championship
0: Yeah fantastic And it's fair to say That that combination Also Made sure that every team that they coached uh, had a lot of fun as well. And uh, talking about fun, let's have a chat about this weekend's games. Just to remind everyone, we'll start with uh, with England-Wales, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Warren Gatland came here in, in bullish mood up to Twickenham. I think, you know, believing that his Welsh team could upset the odds. And I suppose they had the momentum having come back from, you know, so many points down against Scotland. England... A winning start, but still with plenty of questions to answer. I mean, it's fair to say a chaotic first twenty minutes for England. Two yellow cards. They gave away a penalty try, but they also scored a try whilst they were down to thirteen. You know, men. We had the George Ford char- charge down <laughs> yeah. conversion. We had yeah. about fifty-eight scrums that needed resetting. So, uh, what was your overall take on the on, on the game?
1: I think England are obviously still in big transition, and that's a data flux that needs to finish soon really and they need to get settled they're desperately doing everything they can to get to that point but I think it's a decent start two wins I think as we've talked about they need one more don't they really for it to be progress in the next three games the match itself very messy they're still making a lot of almost cheap errors just as they're trying to bed in new systems in attack and defence but they got over the line. They had the experience and announced just for a couple of players just to put their foot on the ball almost in the football parlance and just see them through.
0: Shane, I think there were a few Welsh supporters quite worried about what might happen given the first half performance against Scotland the week before. But Warren Gatlin sort of kept reinforcing that it's a young team you know, fans need to be patient. What were your overall impressions? No one wants to be a resilient loser, as as Dafa Jenkins said afterwards. He said, look, we, you know, we're not happy we lost, but we can be proud of our performance. Is that reflected in, in your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. Look, it is a young side. We've, we've gone from a very experienced side of the likes of Alan Wynn, Ken Owens, Liam Williams, Lee Halfpenny. But to name a few, to players, and to be brutally honest, players that I'd never seen playing yeah. twelve months ago. Yeah, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's great that they're coming through the academy systems. They're they're being put into the into the regions, almost thrown into the regions because of the the wage structures and everything that's going on at the moment in Wales. But you know they've deserved their opportunity. Alex Mann, for example, had a great game on the weekend, and I cover the URC quite often, and and I've probably seen him once on a field. That's where we are with Wales. So. Of course, Gatlin is going to say we're not intimidated in Twickenham anymore. You know, we can win this game. He's got to say that, of course he has. But in the back of his mind, he probably is thinking, you know, this is the younger side I've coached. It's the least experienced side I've coached. He probably doesn't know much about some of these players, but they've proven their worth when they need to. And what he will be proud of is, is the, certainly the resilience in the second half against Scotland. Because yeah. I was at the stadium; those people leaving the stadium after that first half performance, but they showed great character and came back and you know within a whisker of winning that match against a very good Scottish, experienced side. Even England on Saturday, England were dominant for the first ten, fifteen minutes with ball in hand and territory, and I thought, oh God, you, you know this is going to be tough for the lads. But they stuck at it. Their discipline was very good. And they went to the other side of the field and put themselves in a good position in the corner there. Very gutsy kick to the corner. Great driving ball and penalty try came from the back of it. And you're looking at yourself thinking, Wow, where did that come from? And they got on top again. So even though they are a young side, they they are showing great experience, match awareness and yeah, like Gatlin said, he is very proud of of what they've done but obviously he would love to have taken the victory back home to Wales and given the lads a bit of momentum going into some huge games coming up in the Six Nations. Nick,
0: let's just look at England's performance in more detail. Um, you know, they talked about obviously a more open and entertaining style of rugby. I think Jamie George it was his first game as captain at Twickenham. You know, they wanted to get the crowd on their feet. Um, as Shane said, the first 12 minutes, uh, they looked like they were going to do that, but didn't convert it. And then ironically, what probably swung the game for them was the introduction of uh, of Dan Cole, 37 years of age, <laughs> and uh, and Ellis Genge to England props. And then obviously the the game management, maybe in that last 10, 15 minutes from George Ford, who, um, you know, May not have been everyone starting 10 at the beginning of the championship. So, I mean, where are England in, in terms of that balance between, you know, keeping the traditional strengths of, of English rugby, the set piece, the, the defence, which they're changing with a, with a blitz defence now and and actually uh, entertaining?
1: Yeah, well, I think Jamie George was 100% right when he said it's important just for England to get back winning at Twickenham because let's not forget the last time they were at Twickenham before Saturday was being booed off, having lost 30 points to 22 to Fiji in their last match before the World Cup. And everything that happened in the 18 months before that, things were fairly low at Twickenham and the the expectations have kind of sunk a bit. So they have made progress. It's a new start. In terms of, of this attack, I think it's great to see that they are showing more ambition. I think it's important that the players are accepting that that had to happen. I think Jamie George is really important to that process because... He sort of come in on almost a, a captaincy ticket of positivity and arguing for this expansion with the coaches. And I think he sort of urged that with the coaches and, and they've listened, which I think is really important because as much as it is important to kick for territory, position and for tactics, it's not enough. And like Berno was saying after the game, they felt like they'd been over-reliant on the kicking game at times and especially during the World Cup and it only took them so far didn't it like you said a number of times they finished third but then by no means the third best team in the world and so things have to change that's going to be a slow process because England don't have the kind of timing tuning or or rhythm that an attacking team like Ireland do when they get into their phase play you know it's multi-layered they've got options on both shoulders if a set move doesn't work there's always a plan b within that move so there's another option so they can keep going England don't have that multi-layer attack yet but they are building it but the one thing that does concern me is the 10 12 13 at the moment that there isn't enough balance in there they're all great players and I think Fraser Dingwall is an exciting guy with a big future but he's too similar to Ford and Slade so if Ollie Lawrence comes back fit then i think he'll go back into that lineup for the next test and that would give a bit of balance but it's you know you think it's a bit of a surprise that england are the side of the home nations that are struggling to find power and size, yeah. You know, gone are the days when Scotland and, and Ireland, for example, would look longingly at England's power.
0: In terms of individual performances, Shane I mean, obviously Tommy Raphael probably had Wales one would have been the uh, the outstanding player on the field. I think he was probably you know man of the match. But uh, who else kind of stood up for you from from a Welsh
2: perspective? Yeah, there a number of good performances really. Uh, I thought Tommy Raphael was superb. You know, it, it's been ter- very tough for Tommy because. Jack Morgan plays in the same position and he he was the captain for Wales in the World Cup. So he's had very little opportunity. But the fact that game certainly suited him, like you said, it was very disjointed. There were mistakes. He was hunting around the breakdown, as was Ben Earle and Sam Underhill. I thought that was a great kind of competition there. Alex Mann, who came off the bench last week against Scotland and scored and and took his try really well, was busy, never backed down, was physical. He's not the biggest of guys either and he got really stuck in. But Cameron win it for me at full back. It was a great matchup with Stewart. Stewart's probably a foot taller than him, and he's fantastic <laughs> in the air. And and we'll continue to kick down his throat, which I never quite understand. But he was Stewart was superb. But I think Cameron win it. He mopped up really well. He covered the field uh and, and every inch of a blade of grass. Um didn't really put a foot wrong. Made a lovely break down the the right hand side there to put Josh Adams down the the right touch line. Um yeah, so he, he had a real tidy game at fifteen and You know, 15 is such an important position now in in rugby because because of the the amount of kicking that goes on there. So we don't have Liam Williams anymore. We don't have Lewis Rees-Samit. We don't have Lee Halfpenny. So 15 was a position we really, really had to kind of scout for very, very quickly. So I think he'd be really, really happy with his performance and he'll give him huge confidence moving on as well. And Nick from... England's perspective, Ben
0: Earl was the, um, you know, was named man of the match. Um, I think he's really cemented his place in that kind of England back row pecking order. Not necessarily the right frame for a number eight, but he's, you know, he's playing so well, he's showing that consistency, you know, world-class level. And, uh, I mean, Freddie Stewart, I think for obvious reasons, you know, Shane said, if Wales keep kicking to him, you're going to touch the ball a lot and end up being somewhere close to being the outstanding player. But who do you think stood out? I mean, Fraser Dingwall scored his first try. Uh, I mean, some positives for England.
1: Yeah, um, and I think it was great to see an England number eight score, a number eight break try. It was a decent Lawrence Delalio impression from Bernal, wasn't it? What would you give that out of 10 right. for the- He didn't see
0: Neil Jenkins in front of him, but he, <laughs> he saw someone. I said, I, I thought, I thought he, he played exceptionally well. And uh, I'm not sure long term whether his position is number eight, but he's playing consistently well. And, and that balance in the back row is, is really important.
1: Yeah, and I think um, that's right, and I think you know Freddie Stewart is so important to the security of of everything that England do. He's sort of unrivalled under the high ball, and if he can just add an extra extra dimension in his attacking game, and he he's talked about that as well, trying to add pace to things, and and I think. Yeah, Ben Earl, you know, he was long talked about, even when he was a teenager, kind of being to the man and born, wasn't he? And he took, he's taken longer than he would have liked to get to this level. But I think one thing that's been interesting about that in the background, he's he's worked really closely with Callum Clark, who was on the fringes of things for England and played for Saracens for a long time, and is now a, a sort of mind coach and a coach in that kind of uh, sphere. And and I think one of the things they've worked on is kind of mental strength of accepting when things don't go well, but then actually forcing yourself to look at why and accepting that if it's not going well there will be reasons and digging into them, sort of being hard on yourself, I think. And I think Bernal went away and did that. And it seemed to pay off, isn't it? It's almost as though that seems a bit obvious, but but it's actually worked for him, hasn't it? And now he's starting to come through and I think it's an opportunity for him in the next couple of years, if he fulfills his potential, then then he'll be yeah. there and thereabouts among the best in the world, won't he?
0: Listen, I couldn't <laughs> agree more with that. I just want to touch on one thing that, I mean, I was a bit of a grumpy old man after the game. and wrote a piece <laughs> for the Sunday Times saying yeah. that rug- rugby's a tough watch. Sometimes it can be a bit boring. I think once again, and I don't want to point the finger of blame anywhere, but uh, we had a game that went on forever. There were scrums that were taking way, way too long to set. You know, whether that's the referee's fault, the player's fault, fans are getting bored... We had TMO decisions that took a long time. We had a player sent to the sim bin that I didn't think deserved to be sent to the Simbin. bin. I mean, am I, am I the grumpy old man, Shane, or, or, or is rugby still trying to work out what it is? Because I watched half the Super Bowl last night and admittedly, you know, that's a game that goes on forever. But they don't half arrive at decisions quickly when they have to make them. <laughs>
2: Uh yeah look it it yeah I I completely agree with you because when you're a co-commentator as well and there's a number of scrums there and each scrum takes about 5 minutes to, <laughs> to, to to be set and, and reset and etc. And you've got Ben K sat next to you rubbing his hands thinking this is fantastic. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I got better places to be. Do you know what I mean? You run out of stats, you've run out of stats, it it out of stats to talk yeah. about. <laughs> it, it it's an it is, and and you know, if I if I'm feeling that, you know, what are the crowds and, and what are the people watching on the telly thinking? Um completely agree. There's enough kind of uh referees, TMOs, um, working behind the scenes, linesmen to kind of get surely to get a scrum set and get the ball out and get the backs flowing like we all want to see let's be honest most of us want to see Um, (laughs) of course the game's got to be safer and and I'm an advocate for that, you know, head-on-head collisions, yes, we want to kind of get that of the game, but they do happen. I think, you know, there are accidental clashes of heads or contact with a head and, yeah, you know, chess would would be unlucky because of the, the angle of, of the contact and the height of Azarati when he was falling. I'm thinking, you know, this is really harsh, but the law says head contact warrants a sanction. So, that is where we are at the moment. I think... We are going in the right direction. We are making the game safer, and I'm all for that. But the, you know, we want it to be fun. We want it to be a spectacle for the supporters. They pay a lot of money to come and watch these games, and we don't want to be sat around for four or five minutes just waiting for a decision to be made. There's enough people there now to be making that decision in, in seconds.
0: Yeah, I just think the game is... Uh, I couldn't agree more. The game is guilty of sometimes over-analyzing itself. You know, either the referee make a quick decision and stick with it or if the if the referee wants to go to a TMO, you know, don't be afraid to overrule him. Make the right decision but get on with it so that we can get on with the game. Now listen, our QBE predictor last week forecasted wins for Wales, France and Ireland so was correct on two out of three of those but had the, uh, talk about TMO decisions, had the final referee decision up at Murrayfield gone a different way then we'd have seen victory for Scotland. There's been A lot of post-match chats, whether or not the ball was grounded. Uh, Nick Berry, the referee, who was about as close to the action as you could get, gave the on-field decision of held up. And there seemed to be a bit of confusion from uh, Brian McNeese, who initially suggested that he could see the ball on the ground, but then upheld the referee's decision. (laughs) I mean, it's almost as if uh, we're getting ourselves tied in knots here, really. I mean, I'm going to go with with you, Nick. What are your thoughts on that? And I mean, I guess if you're a Scotland fan... Uh, you'd feel like you were robbed, and if you're French, you'd think for once the decision's gone your way.
1: I think if you widen this out and, and look at rugby more broadly, there's a problem with the sport at the moment and the governance and the governance of the sport where a lot of people are patting themselves on the back prematurely with changes to the sport and celebrating the results of things that haven't happened yet, talking about opening the game up, making more access, allowing Netflix in, you know, for the the behind-the-scenes access is great, but it wasn't actually... The access in some quarters wasn't actually as wide as they wanted it to be. And if it really was, then it would have been better. Anyone
0: who's congratulating themselves for that documentary series... This is the thing. Because it was was poor and and needs to be better. Well, the same thing
1: thing with the, the Premiership documentary. It started at the playoffs, and it skipped over Worcester and wasps and it didn't discuss London Irish at all now there's no context so if you're not a fan you don't learn anything you don't understand so I understand why they're trying to do these things and they are the right things to do the ideas are there the execution isn't yet and it's exactly the same when we see things like this on the field because you've got a referee talking to someone in a porter cabin and all the officials concerned are scratching their heads players are getting cold scratching their backsides to be quite honest wishing something (laughs) was happening and like we said before we've all been in that situation Anyone who's played rugby knows that if you are going to score a try you know the onus is on the person with the ball to demonstrate a clear grounding and if you haven't done it privately obviously you wouldn't be saying outly but you'd be you fuming with yourself for making that mistake and before technology everyone would have just got on with the, the decision wouldn't they so They have to find a way to get back to that point of quick decisions that nobody is going to grumble about afterwards. And so the balance is skewed the wrong way at the moment. I understand why they want to do it this way, But some of the discussions almost feel like a court of law and it's supposed to be an entertaining sport.
0: Shane, a couple of other talking points. I mean, just give us a quick reflection on, on France and Scotland. I mean, France, it was a huge game for, you know, yes, Scotland fans are upset and I understand your pain. But actually, from a tournament perspective, France winning, it probably keeps the tournament alive to a certain degree, given how well Ireland are playing.
2: Yeah, look, it really does open it up, doesn't it? And I think that's what we want to do. Well, as a Welshman, I want it open as as we possibly can at the most We zero from two. Um, I actually had before the game. I, I had Scotland down to win that game. Yeah, Finn Russell's on form. They've got that. He's got that front foot now. He's got a platform to play from. He's got strike runners like Van der Merwe and these guys that are playing really well. And and I just felt that they looked more organised than France when Dupont's not playing. You think to yourself, Jesus, he is the best player in the world because France are a different animal without him. Uh, we talk about flow, we talk about kind of combinations and and really knowing what you're doing out in the field there. And France just look a little bit edgy without him. And for that reason, I thought Scotland would win that game. And you know whether or not there was a try at the end, I'm not really not going to get into that. But for me, a referee should literally go. I have no idea if that was a try or not. What do you think? Rather than, I didn't think it was a try, or I saw the ball ground. It just confuses matters, and it just, you know, again, just... By asking that question, sometimes it t- it it makes the decision longer to be to be made as well. But deservedly, I thought Scotland were the better team, so they will be hard done by. And just seeing Townsend's eyes afterwards, where he realised that they should have won that game. Yeah, uh, he was confident and celebrated winning that game, and then it was all snatched from him, which again took another five minutes out of the out of the game. I know it was at the end as well, but you know the Scots were ready to celebrate, weren't they? they yeah. And they had, <laughs> they had five minutes to wait, and then were drowned in their sorrows, unfortunately. So I felt for Scotland, I really, really didn't. They'd have won. They'd have been up there with Ireland and really competing for the honors, but um, wasn't to be. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewelry, rebag is the answer.
0: Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Nick, a couple of quick talking points we'll, we'll go through now. I mean, France, no, Antoine Dupont, as, as Shane said, Gregory Aldrick, uh, injury now. Um, yeah. there's something not quite right I mean listen they gave us the best half of rugby I've seen probably in a test match ever with that France New Zealand game and they didn't win the World Cup Raphael Ibenez is gone Dupont's playing sevens I mean where are France they're not quite at the races at the minute are they?
1: No and I think Ibanez is a real loss because he's kind of got the best of both worlds of having spent a lot of time in quite Anglicised environments, but also he's got that French passion. And I think that would really balance a lot of the kind of... um, Or or
0: Basque madness, whichever way you look at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I think it would, you know, France are always liable to lose their... Uh, equilibrium, aren't they? And I think, you know, you couldn't really criticise any team for having a a lull after what they... off the back of a World Cup, especially when, you know, they were at such a high and they were playing such amazing rugby. And it's understandable that they perhaps couldn't sustain that. But I think, yeah, I mean, Dupont is just, you know, the very best players are almost... you realise how good they are when they're not
0: there. Well, yeah, but Ireland, we'll talk about Ireland later on in the tournament. I mean, they moved on from Johnny Sexton without, without any problems... At all, but I think
1: for France they probably should have looked at playing Thomas Ramos at ten because he's been phenomenal for Toulouse in that role. And I understand why you'd think, okay, at test level we'll play Jalibert because that's his natural uh, position. Yeah. But but Ramos has been absolutely outstanding. And yes, of course, the club game is a different level. But Toulouse are probably the the club team in the world at the moment who are playing the closest level to test yeah. rugby, yeah. and he's the man because of Antamac being injured. He's the man who's running that line, and I think they could have done a lot worse than, than doing that. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, there's just a little bit of a hangover still there. They will get back there. It's just going to take them yeah. a bit more time.
0: Well, listen, it was a great result for them, because, mm. uh, and I think for the tournament itself. Um, and another thing I noticed, which uh, possibly you might have escaped the attention of some of our listeners, uh, Harry Patterson was called into the team at 10 a.m. on match day. I don't know if you saw this, uh, as Carl Stein's partner went into labour... Did you ever have to miss a match for any for any reason like that, Shane? Or uh, uh, is that uh, never really?
2: No, my wife was great. It was always great. Good timing. It's <laughs> yeah. good like that, to be fair. <laughs> but. Um... No, I was, was two thousand and nine Lions tour. My son was meant to be born on the on the final week, but fair play to my wife, she, real trooper. She dug in and uh, gave me a week extra to to kind of finish off the series and, and get back just in time. <laughs> oh, I, there's, I'll tell you, there's a, like there. a reason. He's, there's a reason he's the top try scorer. It's got, uh,
0: it's got Shane's career, his success. It's got nothing to do with he, with him. It's uh, definitely down to the family. Now, listen. Um, the other interesting point, George Turner. HIA at the weekend was alerted by a smart mouth guard. I mean there's yeah. the tech in the game is improving all the time. I mean that's fantastic which Shane talks about player welfare. It's so so important that you know if It's not seen by one of the officials. You've got an independent doctor now. We've got a technical mouth guard that can measure it. H- H- All we need now is a ball that tells us whether the try has been scored <laughs> or hasn't been scored. This is it. And we'll be okay yeah. now.
1: Yeah. And I think um, actually, some guys from World Rugby had a couple of the smart mouth guards in and they were showing them to people at the game on Saturday. And it's actually it's self-cleaning as well if you can believe that through infrared so you put it in the box and you can charge the box usb charging all these sorts of things and there's it is a very small it's <laughs> another, almost
0: another thing to charge this is it well that's right I'm gonna charge, charge my mouth guard <laughs> now. this is it
1: but it's almost <laughs> imperceptible that this slight bump where the uh where the chip and everything is yeah. in, in the tech and and i think yeah anything like that that can, that can bring it forward is obviously absolutely vitally important because what we want is is a sport where you know, the Jamie Georges and the Marley Packers of tomorrow, their parents are quite happy to keep sending them off to play school games and club games and also in the belief that the duty of care will be being carried out.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen. I wore a mouth guard, as I'm sure Shane did, I, and I'm missing most of my teeth now. I can't really imagine if you didn't wear a mouthguard, it would have been the game would have been horrific.
1: For my shame, I didn't. I, uh, I couldn't get on with it ever, so I never ever wore a yeah. gum shield. To, I mean, there's to, a lot of refer- detriment. Uh, yeah,
0: twice. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to get a word in edgeways on the field if, <laughs> <laughs> if I kept it in. I'm sure there would have been a lot of referees very happy with that. Now, listen, the final game of the weekend saw so Ireland bag themselves another bonus point win hugely impressive on the day denying Italy any points at all and you know I watched this game yesterday slightly jaded after a couple of um, scoops uh, But and I felt so sorry for Italy because they were they were trying their hardest but uh, they were up against it not a lot right going for Italy and Dublin their campaign doesn't get any easier as they head now to France for the next game you know they were so gallant and valiant against England that battered really yesterday I mean it was just looked like looked like an FA Cup match where you had a premiership team playing and a, and a non-league side play really I mean where do you where do you think Italian rugby goes for Casada with the third game
1: I mean I think it is so difficult isn't it because they've got Benetton flying in the, in the URC and you know performing better than than they ever have been they've obviously got a decent budget they've amassed a good squad of players they're developing more players than perhaps they arguably ever have there is some quality in there but again they always come up against this roadblock I think you, you probably say they're not as good as a three-point loss to England, yep. and, but they're not as bad as six or seven try loss, loss yeah. to Ireland. So it's something in the middle, but that probably still leaves them sixth. And it's a Wales team that you think, you know, it's really bold by Gatland, but he probably didn't have any choice. But that's a team that in three years' time could be very, yeah. very tasty. I, mean, I mean, But, I mean, yeah. but you, you back Gatland to make that yeah. happen with Wales, you, you couldn't really back, even though Gonzalo is a great coach, could you back him to achieve the same thing with italy i'm not sure they've got the depth no and, of the resources. And
0: listen, i mean you i mean i'm willing to before you look at the italian result 36-0 on paper and in, on TV doesn't look great yeah. but actually let's wait until the end of the championship see how Wales get on against Ireland see how England get on against Ireland because France didn't do so well they, they were well beaten the fact that they scored 15 whatever it's 16 points everyone sort of thought it was quite competitive but but it wasn't really was it? The game no. was, was so one-sided um, I'll tell you what was a, another special moment was eight-year-old Stevie Mulrooney yesterday. It was the kid who's, if you haven't seen it, I mean it's gone viral and quite rightly so. Sang Ireland's Call cool ahead of the game in Dublin. I mean, I did a little bit of singing, but a terrible <laughs> voice when I was a kid. I know in Wales they love they love a good sing, but I mean, what a what a fantastic moment to to have the courage to lead out. 50,000 people or so in a stadium. So well done to him. I mean, that was just fantastic, wasn't
1: it? I think at eight years old, if you can do that and nail it as he did and pull it off, I think basically if people aren't saying to him, you can do anything you want in the rest of your life, <laughs> then then, then, they'll, then they'll be selling him short. Well, they'll you know, certainly know to who
0: him. he is. Now, listen, it's yeah. a fallow week ahead for the teams. Now, Shane... Uh, I mean, this tournament I played in the Five Nations because I'm ancient, and it was off, <laughs> and it was available in Betamax video. You, you made you made your debut in the Six Nations, but it's now played over you know such a, a condensed period of time. It used to be a lot longer. We used to bemoan the fact that there'd be a couple of weeks. We used to go back to our clubs and play two games in, <laughs> in between the tournament. Yeah. I mean, did you enjoy having a week off in between international matches, or would you say, look? We need to just get this tournament done and dusted as as quickly as possible because there is a balance between player welfare. You know, we saw a World Cup that went on for nine weeks because they were trying to put rest periods in for the players. It felt like it was too long. This tournament is seven weeks. Is it too long? Is it too short? Where where do you sit on that, Shane?
2: Well, as a spectator now, you know, I'd I'd love to be seeing international matches every week. And that's me being selfish. Um, I do kind of remember looking back. It it depends as well, because a lot of players will will play every Six Nations match, especially in this day and age, you know, when you're trying to establish your your first teams and your combinations, etc. So looking back, I usually played in every match in the Six Nations. I was quite relieved after an encounter like... Like they had on Saturday at Ben <laughs> which was very physical. Yeah, um, it, you know it, there was a lot of errors, so the game was very open. There was a lot of kicking. You know, a lot of a lot of ground and mileage covered. I imagine, I am sure the players would be looking forward to an extra week. Really, where even though you haven't got a game, it's still going to be difficult. You know, you, you you have your your easy period at the start of the week, and as the week goes on, you know you get your bone on bone contact. Training sessions, you know, the intensity is is raised as the weekend comes because most of the team won't be going back to their their regions or clubs, and there'll be players as well that'll have the opportunity to go back to their regions and the clubs that haven't played much rugby as well. So it's nice for them to have that opportunity because as a player that doesn't get selected much in the Six Nations, if you don't go back and play for your clubs, yeah, it's it, tough. It, like you say, it's a set is seven weeks without rugby, isn't it? So I see how it benefits both sides of it, really. But yeah, I to be honest, for, for me. I quite looked forward to that extra week where I could recover and tape myself back up, put all the plasters back on and get ready to go again. Well, listen, Shane, I
0: I agree. I I think we should just now have a block of Six Nations games and just get them over and done with and enjoy them. You know, to have to sort of, uh, you know, it's like leaving a restaurant halfway through a meal and going to another restaurant. Why why would you do that? Nick, just before we wrap up, what's the timetable for England now? And what happens with England will probably mirror most of the teams. Uh, Their their next game is at Murrayfield on Saturday week. How do they prepare from here on in them?
1: They'll be back into camp at Pennyhill Park on Wednesday and just sort of slowly start building things up from then. That'll be the day when they'll work out exactly what, you know, the composition of the wider squad will be leading into that. They'll be hopeful that George Martin will be fit, hopeful too that Ollie Lawrence can come through. I don't think Marcus Smith will be ready still. I think that calf problem is still niggling away. Manu Tuolang, not too far away either from his groin issue. And I think the three who might come back If they're fit, then they'll all be there and thereabouts for the squad and certainly would add that extra little bit of punch that we've been talking about. So, yeah, so they'll be built up from Wednesday and then next week will be, you know, your standard kind of test match week of big session Tuesday, team selection off the back of that. And then, I mean, the, yeah, listen, no, I,
0: the other thing is, uh, when you have to go home for three days, I don't know whether that's a, that, <laughs> I don't know whether that's a disruption or not, really, because uh, everyone's got used to you not being there, and then you yeah. suddenly pitch up for three days and try and assume that you're the uh, the master of the house and take over, and it disrupts the kids and all that sort of stuff. Now, listen, we're gonna <laughs> yeah. we're gonna look ahead to round three in more detail in next week's podcast, but just to give you an overview of what's to come and what our QBE predictor has forecast the scores to be for the next round round three of Six Nations. Rugby. Uh, This is how the predictor works. Our friends at QBE Insurance have simulated the tournament 10,000 times, producing outcomes from 150,000 games, with every match replicated by generating a number of tries, conversions, and penalty scores by each team, along with key analysis from their actuaries. So far, I think they've predicted five out of six successfully. So, Shane, they've predicted. Ireland 25, Wales 16, Scotland 23, England 22, wow, and France 45, Italy 15. So they've gone with three home wins. I guess Shane after Ireland battered Italy 36-0, 25-16, I mean is that realistic? Would you take that now as a as a buyer of insurance? Yeah, I'd take that, <laughs> wouldn't
2: you? Um <laughs> Yeah, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful of this game. I really am. Yep. Um, I'm hugely impressed how how Ireland are playing the game. Even on Saturday, even though Italy didn't score a point. They you didn't play poorly Italy I thought they had a real goal. I thought they kept the ball really well just massively frustrated by a well organised defence and even in attack for Ireland Ireland had to work hard, really hard for their tries it wasn't as if they were scoring 78 yarders untouched they're going to play through 20 phases plus easy Ireland that's how they do it and they grind it down they get line outs 5 metres from the line and, and the, like we, we go on about the hooker Sheehan is going to become the all time top try scorer ever <laughs> for uh, international rugby that's, that's how they work and, and and so they made Italy look quite poor, uh, but I was quite impressed with it with Italy. So it may be the same thing for Wales out there. Shane, listen, I'm not going to
0: ask you to predict the score of the game, but what is success for Wales in this tournament for you? Because they are making progress and Warren Gatland called for patience ahead of this Ireland game.
2: hundred percent, Laura. I think um, Warren Gatland would be happy if they continue their progression. If... They look like they're getting more organised, that they're getting the game plan together. I'm under no illusion. I don't think we'll win out in Ireland, but there's two home games after that. Certainly, this French side aren't as scary as they were in the World Cup. So I think Gatlin would target that match. He really will. And I believe that is a game in Cardiff they're capable of winning. And then obviously, Italy lasts. And if you've just beaten France, then you should go on and beat Italy. So if Warren Gatlin comes out to the Six Nations having won two games, and there's a progression there, and people can see that, I think he'd be relatively happy with with what he's done in the Six Nations with such a young squad.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And listen, that's a nice segue into my predictions for England. Success for England in this tournament would be to win more games than they lose. And and listen, they, they haven't done that in a couple of years. Um, they certainly haven't won their opening two games. Now, we haven't seen fireworks or spectacular rugby from Steve Borthwick's England yet, but they have won two, Nick. For me, if they were to win one more game... They'd finished the tournament in credit for the first time in however many years. Um, And and that's probably just about right, isn't
1: it? Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to ask Shane, um, if that's right. Shane, you were talking about when the Blitz defence came in and you were sort of tasked with with leading that. Obviously, just linking it to what Felix Jones is doing with with England now. How do you see that progressing and... As somebody who's gone through that, who's experienced the initiation of it and it going extremely, extremely well, do you think it's something that can work for England? And what are the biggest challenges for those players in making
2: it work? hundred uh, percent it, it, it can work. It is, you know, high risk, high reward, certainly was against Italy. You know, they were very nervous in, in how they implemented that against Italy and Italy broke them several times. Wales, not quite as much, thinking. Maybe they may have gone out on the outside, Cameron win it to Josh Adams in the second half, where Daly just got caught in no man's land. But it, it is one of those defences that you just have to keep at it. You have to put faith into it. The wingers have to be fully committed. They have to make sure there's no double decisions there. You've, you've either got to get out that line or you're going to get cut to shred, uh, ribbons, I should say, on the outside. I'm a big fan of it because it was implemented to me when I had to work on my defence and it elevated my game massively.
0: I'm a massive fan of it but there's players like you Shane and the and the outside centers are the ones that are at high risk you know yeah. this, when you're a prop and you're at guard or bodyguard the first two defenders yeah I can get up off the line I think I could cope with that you know for for the 12 13 14 15 even some of the uh, you know the other boys it's a tough defense and they're the people who will get criticized like Elliot Daly has and singled out Um, but at the end of the day, you're going to miss more tackles, right? And people who are obsessed with stats, I couldn't care, as long as you don't miss the one that matters, which is the one that stops the try. You know, you're going to get better collisions, dominance, because you're going to get bigger hits, okay? But you are going to get stepped on the inside a couple of times, because, you know, players like Shane, who are very skillful, have got incredible footwork, will step you on the inside and make you look like an idiot. But I can tell you now, you know, we won, well, Three premiership titles and two European Cups off the back of it, and and Shane won you know multiple trophies by playing blitz defence. And,
2: and Shane,
1: uh, you're effectively saying it was almost the making of you in terms of the confidence and rounding out your game.
2: Yeah, defensively, when Sean Edwards comes and tells you, you you're going to do something, you probably well, you've got to do it to, <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> yeah. But um, when it's you leading the whole international defensive line, you know, and he's telling you right, you've got to blitz defend uh, Alex Tuilagi or Joe Kokko, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and these guys, and you think, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to do it yeah. but it's it's one of those you're 100% committed if you go into it and you think oh do I need to be drifting out here or am I in the right position you will get absolutely ripped to shreds as Lauren says yeah. it, it it's such a difficult position to be in as a back three but once you get that right you know teams get kind of ushered back into where the strong defense is like you say where your props and your hookers are on the inside if you can kind of umbrella them back inside those collisions are so effective every time and you, you know, little things you get you get more turnovers from it you get more uh, collision dominance and and the breakdown is much easier to defend in because you know they're, the opposition is already on the back foot and then you can just really be ruthless and put teams to bed that sense but it, it's not something that Felix Jones would have come in and gone, right, we're going to do this next week. All right, brilliant. That's perfect. We can move on now. This is going to take time. It really is. Yeah. And next week with Finn Russell, you have got to get it right with Finn Russell because you can put those little cross-field kicks in. You can do that 40-yard pass over the top. But if you get it right, you can shut down plays like Finn Russell as well. So it, they have to keep at it. They really do. Well, listen, talk about being on the back foot. That's uh,
0: that's us on the back foot because that's all we've got time <laughs> for, for, for the, this week. But uh, Shane, great to catch up with you. Never mind, Jiffy. Who move over? Shane, <laughs> Shane Williams is our man. Thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of the Six Nations, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you soon. Nick, thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks, uh, so um, thanks Steve can stay in Devon now for a few <laughs> yeah. more weeks. Uh, and my, also, my thanks go to Boxpod Studios for hosting us so brilliantly. As always, thanks for you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?